0: Welcome to Revival from the Bible, a daily devotional podcast where we dig into God's Word together and find life through Jesus Christ. My name is Ben Blakey. It's Friday, the 9th of October, 2020. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Now, that verse might uh, bring several different songs to your mind. Uh, So many songs have touched on this idea of this is the day that the Lord has made and also these ideas, hey, let's take this day and let's rejoice and let's be glad in it. And so you're probably familiar with songs that say that, but are you familiar with where that comes from in the Bible? Because we're going to see that today in Psalm 100. 18 as we look at verses 17 through 24 and it is that 24th verse that says this is the day that the Lord has made let us rejoice and be glad in it now that statement has kind of been pulled out and used like I've said in so many songs and really what so many of those songs are trying to communicate is a biblical principle um Any day that we wake up, we can say, this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And we are commanded. We think of Philippians chapter 4, rejoice in the Lord always. We should take every day of our lives as a gift from God, and we should rejoice, and we should be glad in it. So this Friday, the 9th of October, 2020, let us rejoice and be glad in this day that God has made. However, that verse in this specific passage is not commenting just on any day. Even though there is a sense in which it is true of every day, it seems to be talking of a specific day. And let's talk more about that as we dig into God's word together. Look at what is said before verse 24. Especially starting in verse 22, you'll hear some words that should sound familiar if, if you've read through the Bible before, or even they've come up in our reading already this year. It says, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. So it's talking about a stone that has been rejected that has now become the cornerstone. And there's some debate about what in Psalm 118 this is exactly referring to. Some might suggest this had something to do with Moses and even him uh, in some ways being rejected, you know, he runs away from Egypt or or whatever else it might uh, be that Now, he has become a cornerstone for the nation. Some say it might be referring to the nation of Israel. But we see clearly this verse, Psalm 118.22, applied specifically to Jesus Christ in the New Testament. It's applied by Jesus Christ himself. He uses this to describe himself. And we also see it later in the epistles of Peter. So we know ultimately point 20 or verse 22 is going to be fulfilled in Jesus Christ the Messiah. And, and so we want to understand that as we read this passage and I think ultimately this act of God which it goes on to say in verse 23 this is the Lord's doing and it is marvelous in our eyes. God taking something rejected and making it the central part, the cornerstone, the most critical part of the construction. So what we want to understand, this is ultimately pointing to Christ. We can look at what Christ has done and through his rejection, he has become the cornerstone of the church, the cornerstone of our faith. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. So even I would suggest to you the reason that verse can be true of any day is that ultimately, because it was true of that day and ultimately fulfilled by Jesus Christ. Because he was rejected and has now been made the cornerstone, we can truly say this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. So take some time today to really thank God for the Savior, for Jesus Christ, and then rejoice and be glad in this day because of what God has done for us on that day, the day of Jesus Christ. And even that idea of Jesus being rejected, we need to understand how serious of an idea that is. And that's really what we see in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 18 through 29 today. We've seen this call to endurance that we read yesterday, but now we see another warning and we need to correct some misconceptions I think many have today, because many people, even though they might not say it like some liberal professors at liberal seminaries, that they seem to grip somewhat of this idea that God is really strict and really harsh in the Old Testament. But in between the Old Testaments and New Testaments, you know, he gets a little nap and he wakes up a little happier and he's a little kinder and gentler in the new Testament. And like I said, some places explicitly try to teach that uh, coming from a totally false perspective on the Bible. But I think many uh, people that are reading the Bible and going to church in the United States of America without maybe realizing that that's kind of what they think. God was pretty uptight in the old Testament and he loosened up a little bit in the new. Well, the problem is that idea is not in the Bible. Um, even though we do think of a new covenant and even though how we've seen in Hebrews, it is a better covenant, in no way has God changed. And in fact, in some ways, the stakes of rejecting Christ and rejecting God have been raised because what Jesus has done is so superior. Now, rejecting what Jesus has done is even worse than rejecting the law of the Old Testament. And that's kind of the argument that is made here where he says, hey, you haven't come to Mount Sinai. And he describes that, you know, where the Ten Commandments were received in verse 18, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the voice of a trumpet and the voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. I mean, that was kind of an intense, even frightening scene there at Mount Sinai in the Old Testament. And he makes that point, and then he doesn't go on to say, You've come to something much easier, much kinder, much gentler. No, he says, You've basically come to something even more serious. Verse 22 But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus the mediator of a new covenant and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. You've come to something more serious. So verse 25, see that you do not refuse him who is speaking for if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. So that's really the idea here in Hebrews 12 this idea of rejecting Jesus Christ which we know happened. Um we need to understand how serious that is. And this verse ends with kind of a, or this chapter ends with kind of an ominous verse there in verse 29 for our God is a consuming fire. And so we see uh how serious it is to accept Jesus Christ. Uh here coming from the Bible and even to see the seriousness that, uh, with which God takes in, that brings us now to introducing a couple new books. We're starting two new books today in our revival from the Bible reading plan. And the first is the prophet Jeremiah, where we're reading chapters one through three. So we finished up Isaiah, we're moving on to Jeremiah. And one thing to note is Jeremiah happens later in history than Isaiah. Remember, there are two kingdoms. The kingdom kingdom of Israel starts united, but then it breaks into two, the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. At the time Jeremiah has come along, uh, the northern kingdom of Israel has gone bye-bye. They have been conquered and taken into exile by the Assyrians. And Jeremiah is going to come along now towards the end of the southern kingdom of Judah as they are about to be invaded by the Babylonians. And in fact, it seems that Jeremiah is there all the way until the bitter end. And so this is an intense and sad time in the life of the kingdom of Judah. And that's why Jeremiah is often known as the weeping prophet. And he's going to write the next book we'll read after Jeremiah, a shorter book called Lamentations, which really his, his laments, his cries at the destruction of Jerusalem. So we start Jeremiah. That's just a little bit of the background for you today. Chapter one, we see God calling Jeremiah, and it's cool to see maybe some similarities between that and even God's call of Moses and how God reminds Jeremiah that you know he's the one that's ultimately going to equip him and enable him for ministry. But then we get into God bringing his charge against uh, the people of Judah. And one theme that kind of emerges is that they have broken their covenant. And he even really brings up, the idea of adultery a lot, or even almost a prostitution in many places that just as, you know, sometimes we unfortunately see in a marriage, somebody break the covenant of the marriage. He is saying to the nation of Judah, you have broken the covenant that we had together. And there's this very vivid picture in chapter two where He says, where have you even heard of a nation changing their their gods? And he says in verse 12, chapter 2, verse 12, Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked. Be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. And that's even a verse we've referenced some as we've been going through the gospel of John when Jesus calls himself the living water. uh, God is saying, I am this fountain, this spring, constantly pouring out uh, refreshing water. And they have forsaken me to kind of dig their own little pits and cisterns to try to hold, you know, grimy, dirty uh, rainwater that's now sifted through the dirt and, and found its way into here and they're broken and they're not even holding water at all. And I think that's actually, for us, should be a very vivid picture of what sin is. Every time we sin, we are forsaking God, the fountain of living waters, and we're going after broken cisterns that aren't ultimately going to work. And that just gets us started today in the book of Jeremiah. But then we also start the Gospel of John, and if you attend Compass Bible Church Treasure Valley, I, this might be a gospel with which you've grown a little more familiar over about the last year, as we have been going through this as a, a church. We'll be we're planning to wrap up Chapter Eight this Sunday. We started in Chapter One last November, so almost a year to get through the first eight chapters. Uh, But we start with the prologue today, which we took some time. We we were going pretty slowly through these first 18 verses that we read today because it really sets the stage. We see here clearly at the beginning, the deity of Christ in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And if you want an explanation even of how that verse is clearly, uh, teaching the deity of Christ and even how to respond to the Jehovah's Witnesses when they knock on your door and try to explain, no, it just says the word was a God. I'd encourage you to go back on our website and find that sermon and listen to it as we even dig into the Greek and explain how this is a clear pointing to the deity of Christ. But we see many other themes established here that Jesus is life, that he is Light um, and that he is God. Those are things that have repeatedly come up throughout the book. And ultimately, that belief, true belief in Christ leads um, to something, it leads to us becoming the children of God. And so that's where even he gets into, you know, the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And we need to praise God that through Jesus Christ, we have this light. We have this life that the word did become flesh and dwell among us, that we have a fuller picture than just the Old Testament. But we also need to realize going back to Hebrews that this is very serious. Now that the word has been made flesh and dwelt among us, what are we going to do with Jesus? Well, the Bible makes it clear what God has done with Jesus. Even though Jesus was rejected by men, he was raised and he is seated at the right hand of the father. He is the cornerstone that our faith, that the church rests upon. And so we can say, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Thanks for digging into God's word with me today on Revival from the Bible. For more resources, check out revivalfromthebible.com. To learn more about Compass Bible Church Treasure Valley or to find old sermons like the one I mentioned, go to compassbible.tv. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you.